great to see you all here this morning, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to meet with us here at the Bethel this morning. Um, another beautiful sunny day. It's often a sunny day when I'm presiding. I think it's God's way of encouraging me and helping me get over my nerves to give me something bright to, uh, to focus on. Um, I'm glad you're all here. We're going to worship our God this morning. We're going to remember his son. We're going to praise together. Um, we're going to begin by reading together Psalm 115. Philip's going to come and lead that for us. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Ye, you who fear him, Trust in the Lord. He is our help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Philip. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together and sing our praise to our God. Oh God, beyond all praising, it's beyond all praising, but we're going to try anyway. We worship you today and sing the love amazing that songs cannot repay. Let's pray together. Our dear Father, we thank you, first of all, that we're privileged to be here this morning, that we're able to be here this morning to, to worship you in peace and safety, to meet with uh, your other children, our family, in this loving environment, um, and to be able to remember the amazing love that your son showed us in his death. We, we pray that you will um, accept our praise this morning as a sacrifice, um, 
we, it's, it's all been said in the words that we've, we've just sung. We want to worship you and praise you. And we we uh, pray that you'll be here with us um, and, and accept that worship uh, as a, a small token of, of our gratitude for what you've done for us. We, but we pray as well for those who can't be here this morning. We pray that you'll be with them and hold them close and <clears throat> help them to know your love as I pray that we will feel your love here. Um, and Father, just bless us, bless us all richly and fill us with your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Andy's going to come and give us the announcements. Good morning to you all. It's uh, good to see you all this morning. Particular welcome to quite a lot of people visiting us. It's great to see Richard and Margaret with us, and Richard's going to exhort us uh, shortly. It's also good to see Liz and Martin. It's good to see Pete and Lillian Falk. It's good to see Sue, Ruth, Claire and Jackson John. Yep. Um, And it's good to see Ben with us again. So welcome to you all. We pray that God will bless and, um, and that he'll be glorified through the things that we've planned. Uh, I've got care news from uh, Elaine this morning, which I'll just read out to you. Christine Griffiths is spending a few days away with relatives in Cleethorpes and is generally doing okay. Rebecca, Christine and Emma are finding the death of Peter time to ref- of reflection on their own spiritual life and we pray that the Lord will draw them closer to him. Alex has had an email from John. John's been to the Ecclesia in Bukavu and they thank their family in Old Trafford for their donation. John plans to visit another Ecclesia, Miti, um, north of Bukavu soon and he sends his love. We remember our pregnant mums, especially Elizabeth and Martin as their date approaches and Rebecca and Julian. We also remember Pauline, Gladys and Marion who struggle with their health issues. Theo Crowther has chicken pox. We pray that it will be a quick and painless time for all the family. I understand Mary Fitzgibbon is not too well this morning, so remember her. And finally, remember those brothers and sisters who we don't see very often, particularly mentioning this morning, Norman and Margaret, Devon and Christine and Alan McGaw. Marion is not well today, so we'll uh, think about uh, the family in our prayers. Does anybody have anything else you'd like us to pray about together? Okay, if you just remain where you are, incline your hearts to God and we'll we'll approach him in prayer. Our Father, your your blessings that you shower on us are too many to number. Your care for us and your love for us is is too great to describe, even if we don't always um, remember that and don't always understand that. And we thank you for that now. We thank you that you um, know every hair on our heads and care for uh, every part of our lives and uh, we pray that we will be better at letting you into every part of our lives. And whilst your love for us is immeasurable, sometimes if we, we forget because things can be hard in our lives and we pray that you'll um, strengthen each of us in the difficult things that that happen in our lives um, and help us to remember that that you know best and that uh, you have a plan for us even though we might not always know what it is that you always care for us and that you have us in the palm of your hands 
And we pray this morning that um, those people Andy has mentioned to us, um, people like Norman and Margaret and, and Mary, who are not so good, not so well, and, or we haven't seen for a while, and all the other people who are mentioned, we pray that they will know your love and know your comfort and know your presence and know our love as well. Help us to, to be Jesus' hands and feet um, in demonstrating your love to them. We thank you that um, Rose's mum Doris is doing well and we pray for your continued blessing and healing on her following her fall. And we pray that you'll be with um, Theo and family and Hermione and Ollie and Hannah as, uh, as they are not well. Um, help them to recover soon and give them strength to, uh, to look after the little ones. Um, we pray for John in Congo. He you seem to be using the Lord as an encouragement for the brothers and sisters there and pray that we will uh, be able to help him in that um, and that he'll be able to strengthen uh, the brothers and sisters that he meets over there in Congo but we're aware that he needs your strength and your comfort as well in, in what is what are difficult circumstances for him please be with him and bless him Father we pray that you'll be with Jill and Philip Vicky's sister and brother-in-law that you will <coughs> Help them to see a path for their life. Um, help them to know what it is that you that you want them to do, that you need them to do, um, as they as they push on some doors and try and try and work out what what is the next next stage for them. Please be with them um, and encourage them. And Father, we pray that you will be with um, Christine and the family um, in these weeks following Pete's loss. And that you be with Sue and family following their, their last few years ago. And uh, just bless them richly. Help us to be um, a blessing to them as well. Father, please bless each one of us um, in the needs that, that people maybe don't know about and we've not talked about. You know of those needs and we pray for your rich blessing on, on all your children. Most of all, Father, we pray that you'll send Jesus back soon. Um, we know he's the answer to, to all these problems and we know that, that you know the right time and you'll send him when it's ready. But Father, we pray that it will be soon. And we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Debbie, will you come and lead us in, in reading Psalm 116, please? Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. He turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to me. For you, O Lord, <clears throat> have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, 
Therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted, and in my despair I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Hopefully this is a place we can come and, and gain strength from, from meeting together and from, from being in the house of the Lord and being in his midst. This, this is his, his house and I believe our God is here with us to give us strength as we meet together. I'd like to spend a few minutes in, in worship now. Are we going to sing two songs in worship of our God as we meet together here in his presence? When I, when I feel the touch of your hand upon my life, it causes me to sing a song that I love you, Lord. And then we'll sing, I wait in your sanctuary. Uh, Richard is going to come and talk to us shortly. Before he does so, I've asked Ben, he'll come and read to us a few verses from Matthew 25. And it's verses 31 to 46. Thank you, Ben. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of, the brothers, of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Thank you, Ben.
Well, it's always a pleasure to hear from Richard. Usually very interesting, usually encouraging, and I pray that you'll be able to encourage us today. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for that lovely welcome. It's a great pleasure, always, always to come here. I'm almost afraid to disturb the mood that's that's being created, because I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson, but that's wrong. I'm going to remind you of a bit of history. But first of all, a confession. I, I confess that as a young man, that one of the things that attracted me about the Christadelphians is that you were encouraged to reason together, have debates, uh, if not arguments. And I used to love that. Perhaps the arguments more than anything else. Perhaps, sadly, I haven't, I haven't changed very much. But the prophet Isaiah, when he first engages with the children of Israel, says unto them, come, let us reason together. And the beginning of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights goes like this. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights, and they are endowed with reason. And if there's a theme for the exhortation, it's this theme, reason and reasoning. I was talking, debating something with somebody from the Halifax Church, uh, and she reminded me, and I don't think I've forgotten, but it was good to be reminded, she said, ours is a reasoned faith. Our, our faith is, is a product of rational thought and, and reasoning, and perhaps we take it for granted. And she was right, and it is. I, 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 and many of us delight in being able to reason things out for ourselves. We're not a church where somebody tells you what to believe. We encourage each other uh, to read uh, from Scripture uh, and to think and to debate things amongst ourselves. It's without doubt one of the great, one of the great strengths of this community. Uh, and we believe that it was so in the beginning, in the first century. When you read the Acts of the Apostles frequently, uh, it says the Apostle Paul went into a synagogue. Well, on one occasion it says, for three days he reasoned with them from their scriptures. He didn't just pronounce things that they should do and believe. He debated with them. He goes into Mars Hill once and he reasons with the Greeks there. Uh, doesn't he? The power of reason, of logic, of, of uh, debate. And it was certainly true about the fathers of the early church, Tom Aquinas, Augustus of Hippo. That these people founded the church uh, very much on reason. And, and, and that's a strong feature of, of, of our community. In a sense, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, and you might say, well, great, yes, but what's the alternative? Hasn't it always been so? Surely it has. But the truth is, of course, it hasn't. Uh, for, for most of the last 2,000 years of Christian history, reason uh, took a back seat. Indeed, some would say it almost had, had no seat at all. Certainly for the first 1,500 years of Christian history, uh, most people uh, didn't have a Bible to read in their own tongue, and they most couldn't read anyway. But for the first 1,500 years at least of Christian history, uh, to, to be a Christian was to be a member of the Catholic, the Universal Church, and to be under its authority. Uh, the, the Pope was regarded as Christ's representative upon earth. Uh, and his emblem were the cross keys. They were the keys of, of heaven and hell. And people believed that their eternal well-being depended upon being a faithful and obedient member of, of, of the Catholic Church. And they were told what they should believe. Uh, and the keys of heaven and hell uh, were used. They, they were instruments of excommunication. 
and the Pope could excommunicate you both in this life and it was believed uh, in the next. Uh, and the importance of, of your Christianity was not reasoning, it was, it, it was uh, obedience. But I came across this quote too, recently. Uh, and this was a quotation from a 16th century Protestant reformer called Sebastian Castellio. And he said this of reason. Reason is the daughter of God. It is before the world was, and after the world is changed and renewed, she will endure and can no more be abolished than God himself. According to reason, Jesus lived and taught. He is the Logos, which means reason or word. Reason is an eternal word of truth, always speaking. As you can see, language is fairly flowery, but... Uh, he was a great fan of reason. Reason is an eternal word of truth, uh, always speaking. And, and after 1500 years, reason made a comeback. And in the early 1500s, Martin Luther nailed his articles to the church door at Wittenberg and lit the fuse of the Protestant Reformation. And, and freedom and reason uh, began, began to make a comeback. Luther, of course, was an educated priest. He had access to a Bible and he could read it in the Latin and probably the Hebrew as well, I'm not sure. Uh, and he had reasoned for himself that what the Catholic Church had taught for 1500 years uh, was not supported by much of Scripture. In particular, he believed that each individual had a hope of salvation through his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and through the exercise of divine grace. And his articles was really a tirade against the, the a Catholic Church. So, so reason began to make a comeback. The important word is began. Because the progress of reason and freedom was going to be very slow. It was 500 years to get from the church door at Wittenberg to the Bethel in Old Trafford and to the happy state of affairs where we can read and, and reason for ourselves. And why was this? Why did it take so long? And here's the fascinating and or rather depressing thing actually. The children of freedom are invariably reluctant to grant that same freedom to their own children. The products of reason are invariably reluctant uh, to, to encourage their own children to, to enjoy the freedom that reason brings. Some of you are nodding, some of you are looking, what on earth is he talking about? Uh, let, 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 me give you, uh, let me give you an example. One of the other great figures, of course, of the Protestant Reformation was John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin, like Martin Luther, was an educated priest. He could read scripture for himself, and he fled Catholic persecution in France. He fled to Switzerland. He established his own particular brand of Protestantism uh, in Geneva, as I'm sure most of you know. Uh, and he was very successful. He had an enormous following and became a very powerful and influential man uh, in Geneva. But although John Calvin was a product of reason and freedom, he was not, uh, and had escaped the authoritarian persecution of the Catholic Church, he was not slow, sadly, to introduce his own particular brand of authoritarianism and persecution in Geneva with those who did not agree with him. Uh, one of his first victims was a man called Michael S S Servetus or Servetus, I'm not sure if I pronounce his name correctly. Please, cor please, cor please correct me afterwards if I'm wrong. Anyhow, uh, Michael Servetus w was, was also a priest. He was an educated man and he'd read his scripture and he'd come to the conclusion in particular 
that the doctrine of the Trinity espoused by Catholicism, of course, uh, and Martin Luther and uh, uh, John Calvin had no basis in Scripture. And incidentally, he believed that, that this particular doctrine was an obstacle to both Jews and Muslims converting to Christianity because of their belief in the one God. And in the spirit of the Reformation, in the spirit of reason and freedom, he wrote a book outlining his careful reasoned arguments as to why the Trinity had no basis uh, uh, in Scripture. And it enraged Calvin, uh, and they engaged in very contentious uh, correspondence. And it's alleged that Calvin tricked uh, Michael's servitors into coming to Geneva to debate with him, where they arrested him because he was a powerful man then. And what did he do in the spirit of, of freedom and reasoning? He burnt him at the stake. And as a final flood, he strapped his book to his chest while he burnt him. The children of freedom are strangely reluctant to grant the same benefits to those who come after them. William Tyndale, as you know, suffered the same fate for the tremendous gift of translating the Bible into our tongue, without which we wouldn't be able to have a service uh, like we are having today. Strange, isn't it, how the children of freedom are reluctant to grant the same uh, freedom to their own children. But as Castellio said, freedom, uh, reason is, is an eternal spirit ever speaking and reason's progress was slow but inexorable we haven't time to talk about the levellers and the uh, diggers of the time of the civil war in this country who had read Tyndale's bible for themselves uh, and, 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 and developed ideas not just of religious freedom but of, of social and political freedom it's fascinating by the way and this is a digression uh, that the liberties that we enjoy now socially and politically began as religious freedom religious freedom came first and it carried social and political freedoms behind it it said in this country that Methodism and socialism uh, travelled hand in hand but Methodism came first religious freedom came first and reason really made an enormous comeback, didn't it, in the great non-conformist uprising of the 18th and 19th century. People like John and Charles Wesley travelled the country preaching in the fields, not in the church, because the Anglican church wouldn't have them in their church. In any case, they commanded such vast congregations that they wouldn't fit in the churches anyway. And they preached the gospel of enlightenment. They encouraged people to read. I'm not sure when we read those scriptures earlier on, did you follow it? Did you open your Bible and follow the reading? Some did and some didn't. Most people do. Do you know why you do that? It's not because you don't trust uh, uh, the brother to read it accurately. They, they read them perfectly. Do you know why you do it? Because in those enlightened days when the nonconformist uprising occurred, that's how people learned to read. The masses came to the nonconformist churches and it was through following the reading that they learned how to read. And so this wonderful emancipation of the working classes occurred and people suffered for it. People who left the Anglican church to join the nonconformist churches lost their job. They paid a high price for the freedoms that, that, that we tend to uh, uh, take for granted why am I telling you all this 
Well, I hope it's interesting, but, but because we Christadelphians tend to be a pretty conservative lot. Ideas of standing up for your rights, fighting for, uh, fighting for freedom, socialism, dissent, don't fit very comfortably with a, a group of people who tend to be of a fairly conservative outlook. But it was from just such things that our community sprang and flourished. We were a part of that great nonconformist uprising. And, and it was because of the efforts of others that we have this tremendous freedom to read and to reason for ourselves. Well, that's quite a potted history of 2,000 years of Christian history. And as you've noticed, a great peon of praise for reason. But, there's always a but, isn't there? But some of you might see one or two holes in my great praise and rejoicing over, over reason uh, and freedom. Uh, uh, so, so, some, some of you might see certain holes in this uh, appeal to rationality. Uh, and if you haven't thought of them, I'll mention them to, to you. Uh, the first, of course, is that although reason has given all the benefits and advantages that I've just outlined, the fruits of reason are always not quite so beneficial, are they? If reason gave us the Reformation, it also gave us the Counter-Reformation. The Spanish Inquisition, Torquemada, and all the tortures and horrors that occurred in Spain and throughout Europe uh, in those times, that was a product of reason just as much as the Reformation was. In Europe in the 1930s, it gave us eugenics, the pernicious doctrine of eugenics. It gave us fascism in Italy and Germany. It, it, it gave us the concentration camps. It, it uh, gave us racism. It gave us the, the Holocaust. Reason also gave us Marx and Engels, brilliant men they were. But it also then gave us the horrors of Soviet communism, uh, the Stalin purges, the gulags, the blighting of uh, millions of people's lives in Eastern Europe for generations. That was a product of reason too and it gave us uh, the arms race, nuclear weapons and mutually assured destruction. So now that's one of the problems with reasons. Reason, its fruits are not always beneficial. The, the, the other problem with reason is that when we, when we read scripture it, it occurs to me that Although reason has played its part, as we have, have identified, it doesn't always seem to be God's principal preoccupation. It, it, it doesn't always seem to be the main thing that God is preoccupied with. Uh, when you get that lovely quotation in Psalms, it says, uh, Unto this man will I look. He that argues well debates skillfully and wins the argument. Does it? He says, unto this man will I look. He who is of a humble and contrite heart and trembleth at my words. And when we read that lovely parable of the Good Samaritan, the most powerful parable of judgment in the whole of Scripture, the Lord does not say to the sheep on the one side, Come ye blessed of my Father, for when I needed an erudite exhortation, you were there. When I was in error, uh, you corrected me. And when I wanted a really good argument, I knew where to come. He said, but to this man, but, but uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. Incidentally, I'm stealing this idea from my brother, so if he's already used it, I apologise. If he hasn't, I'll apologise to him for getting it in first. But he said, 
that parable doesn't say, when I was sick you cured me. When I was naked you gave me a wardrobe. When I was in prison you got me out. Do you know, if it said that, I think we'd be more ready to do it, by the way. It just said, you visited me. It just said you gave me something to eat and something to drink. We'd rather do big things, but the Lord calls us to do small things. So that's an aside. Uh, and in that prophecy of Micah, uh, when he asked that rhetorical question, what does the Lord require of thee? It doesn't say to read well, to understand skillfully, and, and, and to argue cleverly, does he? It says, but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So that's the other problem with reason. It doesn't seem, from the Christian point of view, God's principal uh, preoccupation. It doesn't seem to be the chiefest of gifts. And the third problem with reason, which we've already hinted at, is once you give people that freedom, how do you stop them? Uh, how, do you, uh, how do you determine where that freedom will take them? How do you control where, where they're going to go? Come let us reason together, but make sure you agree with me at the end of it. Come let us reason together, but I will speak and you will listen. Because that's the trouble of reasoning together. You've not just got to speak words of reason, which we all think we're not bad at, but you all have to listen to words of reason, which, well, I'm not very good at, that's for sure, just ask my family. And perhaps you think that collectively we're not as good at hearing reason as we are at speaking it. But, but how do you control? How do you control where reason goes? We're, we're the same. The children of freedom want to, uh, and want to restrict the freedom of, of, those who, of those who come after us. The human reaction, as we say, is that of John Calvin, that he would decide. He would decide who was and who was not a heretic and judge them accordingly. So what do you do with reason and freedom? Uh, what is there to limit it uh, or to control it? Well, I think there is something actually. Uh, it's not a Pope, it's not John Calvin, it's not the office, it's not even me. Uh, but there is something, uh, and we haven't turned to much scripture, probably because I think I've got too much material to get through without going on too long. Uh, but if you come to the epistle of Peter... I've turned to, you know, I can never find the small epistles in the New Testament. I always get, I always get them mixed up, and you can't leave through them because some are so thin, you just go right over them, don't you? But, um, the first epistle of, uh, Peter, uh, and verse 15. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man. You see, you've turned it up, by the way, haven't you? Just to check if I'm reading it right. You turned it up because that's how those people learnt how to read. Oh, the reason I didn't read it out, I lost my notes. It is chapter 3, I beg your pardon. First Peter chapter 3. Because you can't follow it if I don't tell you where it is, can you? First um, Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. That's what we've been... Uh, talking about with meekness and fear having a good conscience you see I misquoted the universal declaration of human rights at the beginning the word conscience is there with reason you see it actually says that uh, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights and they are endowed with reason and conscience 
and, and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Uh, and you have to add conscience to reason. The two of them uh, must uh, travel together. In the, uh, I think it's the first epistle of Timothy, and, uh, and the first chapter. Uh, uh, let's begin reading in verse 3 and I exhort thee to tarry at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables or endless genealogies which minister to questions rather than to a godly edifying. There were those who were just arguing for argument's sake. And then he goes on to say, But the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. Reason and conscience must go together. And if the former is the product of the mind, the latter conscience is the sure voice of the soul or if you're not too comfortable with the word soul, it's the voice from within. It's the instinctive voice from within that knows in most people the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And it's conscience that must control reason. It's conscience that is the test for reason. The sure voice of the soul. The, the, the instinctive understanding of what is right and what is wrong and he says here, knowing that the end of the commandment is charity. We know that word charity means love. But it's a particular love, isn't it? I, 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 in the past, I used to remind people, it's not charity, it's love. Now I want to do the opposite. Because love can appear sentimental, but charity is hard-headed and practical. Charity is the loving, as we know, of the unlovely. The unconditional love. This practical, the social good, that does good. And he said, that's the end of the commandment. That's the purpose of the commandment. I began with a quotation, so I'll finish with one. And I don't know where this comes from. Love, it says, has reasons that reason knows little of. Love hath reasons that reason knows little of. And, and the intriguing thing about love and conscience is that there are some places where reason doesn't seem to be able to go. There are some things in, in, in our existence that reason doesn't seem to be able to plumb. And the fascinating thing is they tend to be the most important things. They tend to be the things that really define our humanity. The way of a man with a woman. The way of a mother with a baby. Very appropriate. The way of a father with a daughter. Or a mother with a son. There are some things that reason doesn't seem to be able to explain very well. Love hath reasons that reason knows nothing of. The way that a man will help his friend. The way that a man will, will give himself for a friend. Love hath reasons that reason knows nothing of. The, the way that a stranger will even risk his life for another stranger. Love hath reason that reason knows little of. Or the way a man will give his life for countless strangers. Which is why we're here, of course. 
Love hath reasons that reason knows little of. So, since my grandson is telling me it's time to finish, let us love reason. Let us go where reason takes us. Let us reason together. Let us speak words of reason. And please, let us listen patiently to words of reason. You need to do that, Richard. Uh, And let us have the courage to go where reason takes us, but only when love and conscience allows it. That last little quote that you finished with really strikes a chord. And as you said, sometimes love love has no reason. And, And for me, what Jesus did is beyond reason. But the love is so powerful and so compelling that... um, Well, we submit, don't we? We're going to um, sing together before we uh, share bread and wine. We're going to sing, Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place again. Chris, please come and lead our thanks for the bread. Lord Jesus, we come before you and our Heavenly Father collectively and individually as your family and your children Father you are so awesome you are full of grace and compassion and indeed full of righteousness and Lord you completely clothed us in that righteousness that Jesus has my words Lord cannot describe or betray our thanks or explain how grateful we are for such a gift Lord we are going to take this bread and take a part of it and share it amongst ourselves it reminds us of how close we are to you Lord Jesus all that you went through yet you did it for us through your immense love for us you went through all that so Lord when we're feeling that we need your help and we can't cope things are beyond us help us to remember that you walk with us and sometimes carry us as we take this bread this morning and to remember how close we are to you and you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's Mark, if you'll uh, come on and lead our thanks for the wine.
Abba, our Father, we give you our thanks for the life and the death of, of your lovely Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you our thanks for the wine we share together now, which reminds us of that great freedom that we have in our Lord. Freedom from, from that, that law, but we are now, remember, Father, bound in that law of love which is beyond reason. So, Father, as we think about our Lord, we, we ask for forgiveness. We, we ask for forgiveness for when reason fails us, when, when, we, when we, we don't follow your word, when we don't follow your will, when, when our stubborn hearts, our, our deaf ears, our blind eyes, when we fail. Father, we ask for forgiveness where perhaps reason succeeds, where we, we overwrite our love and, and our conscience. And Father, we ask you to, to help us to, to find the right way, to follow that right way, to follow truth, to follow life, that we can live lives to your glory so that people may see us and glorify you and want to know that reason of, of why we are the way that we are. Help us in this, Father, for yours is that kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. It, it doesn't make any sense to me, but this I know. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Let's sing this together. We're going to sing another song in a moment, but I'd like to say thank you for being here. Thank you for everyone who's, who's contributed, uh, especially to Richard. Ewald's going to uh, close in prayer in a moment um, after we've sung Crown Him with Many Crowns. We sang earlier about Jesus having been exalted to the highest heavens God has, has made him king of the heavens but it's for us to crown him as our king and I pray that we can do that now as we sing crown with many crowns almighty God thank you so much for this morning we have celebrated once again your wonderful love for us we have mourned for your son's suffering and we have rejoiced in his resurrection because death could not keep him. When we look at our spiritual forefathers like Noah and Abraham, who declined to fall for the emptiness of this world, who did choose that also, you are not visible, your existence is certain. We should shout hallelujah 
that we are of one mind with them. Thank you, dear Father, for the words you have spoken to us through our brother, and for the comfort you give to each one of us for having been here and for being in our hearts. Let us now please pray together our Lord's Prayer, together, aloud. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our services, as we forgive those who trust us against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from him. For thine is the kingdom, the power and glory, forever and ever. Amen.